It's a joy to start the year with you. I'm grateful for what God is pointing us towards this year. And um, today is th- this day called Epiphany. Actually, yesterday was Epiphany, um, but uh, Epiphany is celebrated on the Sunday closest to January 6th every year, right? Epiphany, maybe you're like, Epiphany, what? what? What is that? Um, the, wor- the word Epiphany refers to the moment when you get it, right? You've heard that before? Uh, like I had an epiphany. I was walking along and suddenly it, it's, it dawned on me. I, I realized something. I saw something with clarity. Something just sort of uh, became apparent to me for the first time in a long time. The word epiphany is from this Greek word that is the word from which we get the word manifestation. And this is an important distinction because when we're talking about an epiphany, we're not talking about something that was not true or did not exist and then now suddenly does. We're actually talking about something that has existed all along. It's been true the whole time, but all of a sudden we get it. All of a sudden we see it. It's not a new truth. It's just new truth to me. See what I'm saying? So this is Epiphany Sunday. This is the way the the actual calendar year begins, where we get this idea or this invitation to consider that there's a message that maybe we haven't seen before. There's a reality that maybe hasn't been crystal clear to us before. In Christianity, epiphany refers to the revealing of the identity of Jesus, specifically. In Christianity, when we talk about, epif- 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 I mean, we talk about epiphany, there's songs about epiphany, all kinds. Of- but in, Christ- in the Christian context, when we talk about the epiphany, what we're talking about is the revelation of the identity of Jesus. And it's celebrated around the world. It was celebrated all around the world over this weekend in some places, like in Ethiopia, um, where they have not been so thoroughly caught up in the over-commercialization of Christmas. Epiphany is actually a bigger holiday than Christmas is. Uh, We were there in 2013. The roads closed. People were parading down the streets. Um, Because this is a big deal, right? There are two scenes that usually are included in the Christian celebrations of Epiphany. In some cultures, they're going to focus on the coming of the wise men, the, the magi, the three kings, uh, as we often think of them, who come and the identity of Jesus is revealed to them. They come because this is the story in which Jesus is made known. So a lot of churches will focus on this story today. We're going to just handle it in a couple of weeks. I'm really excited about it. I, I'm, that's, a, that's going to be a fun one. So in two weeks, we'll talk about this, this story In some churches today, in some cultures, they'll focus on the second main story that has to do with Epiphany, and that's the baptism of Jesus. Because the baptism of Jesus also is a scene that reveals the true identity of Jesus. So that's a little bit about what Epiphany is. Um, Why now do we celebrate Epiphany? Why do we celebrate it now? Why, in other words, does the church calendar go from Christmas to Epiphany? Well, it's because the birth of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus, the birth of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus are the two scenes in Jesus's life which most clearly tell the story of who Jesus is, um, that he is God in the flesh. Now, there are other stories in scripture that focus on what Jesus did. And we often talk about what Jesus does, like the cross and the resurrection. Those are the main stories that reveal to us what Jesus did. But the main stories that reveal to us who Jesus is are the birth of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus. So if you want to get a solid grasp 
a good starting point at least on who Jesus is, and you feel overwhelmed with like the confusion of all his parables and the apparent magic of his miracles and the practical ramifications of all his political statements, and you're just like, this is just, I'm not really sure kind of where to place this guy, and everybody seems to have a different opinion about things. Look, um, all of those things are important, by the way. The parables are important. The teachings of Jesus are important. The scenes where he's healing and delivering people, super important. Um, all of his cultural commentary, critically important. But if you find yourself not really knowing where to start with all of that, the historic church says this. Start here. Start with these two stories about birth. Because birth is where it begins, right? Start with the, the physical birth of Jesus, and then start with what some call the second birth of Jesus, uh, which is the baptism of Jesus. Start with birth. Birth is a great place to start. Do you talk about birth much in your house? Probably depends on the stage of life in which you're living. We're always talking about birth in my house. Birth is like the context in which life happens in my house. My wife is a birth doula. She attends births. She had this phenomenal week. Is it okay if I... I'll just be really general. So she leaves the house... I didn't, we haven't had a chance to talk about anything. Um, the, we, she leaves the house Monday night, New Year's Day, and she got home Friday morning. Can you believe that? That's a long birth. That was a long birth. Yeah, poor. So uh, we're talking about birth. Birth is affecting all the kinds of uh, things that we're... So she works in physical birth, right? I kind of work in spiritual birth. It's a great place to live, really. It's a great place to live. All kinds of stories, all kinds of dynamics, challenges, joys related to this whole idea of birth. Um, and so we've just celebrated Jesus's birth, and in the next several weeks, I'm going to talk about the significance of the stories from Jesus' childhood. Um, but before we talk about what happens when Jesus is eight days old, and before we talk about what happens when Jesus is two years old, and before we talk about what happens when Jesus is 12 years old, we're going to skip all the way to what happens when Jesus is 30 years old, which is his baptism. So we're going to skip from his birth to his baptism. We'll kind of fill in um, behind us in the next few weeks. But that's where we're going um, today because the birth and the baptism of Jesus, that's what reveals so clearly uh, who he is. Let me just end this sort of intro with this quote. This is a phenomenal quote in my opinion. This guy's name's Maximus of Turin, which just means you should listen to what he says, I kind of think. You got a name like Maximus. So he was in the fifth century. He's a priest in Italy. And um, it, nobody knows much about him except he's got a hundred sermons that have been pers uh, preserved. And he talks a lot about Jesus' baptism. And so I went to him, and here's one of the things that he says that I think is beautiful. He's talking about Epiphany. He says, today then, Epiphany then, is another kind of birth of the Savior. Uh, we see him born with the same sort of signs, the same sort of wonders, but with greater mystery. The Holy Spirit, who was present to him then, he's going to talk about the birth and the, re and the baptism, okay? So the Holy Spirit, who was present to him then in the womb now pours out upon him in the torrent, or in the water, right? He who then purifies, he being the Holy Spirit, who then purified Mary for Jesus, now sanctifies the running waters for Jesus. The Father, who then overshadowed in power, and that's what it says in Luke, that Mary was overpowered by the Holy Spirit. The Father who overshadowed in power now cries out with his voice, he who then, as if choosing the more prudent course, manifested himself as a cloud at the nativity, now bears witness to the truth. So God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am all pleased. Hear him. 
Clearly, this is still Maximus of Turin, clearly the second birth is more excellent than the first, he says. The one brought forth Christ in silence and without a witness. The other baptized the Lord gloriously with a profession of divinity. For the one, Joseph, thought to be the father, absents himself. At the other, God the Father, not believed in, manifests himself. At the one, the mother labors under suspicion because of her condition. In her condition, she lacked a father. In the other, she is honored because God attests to his son. That's, a, that's deep, thick stuff, but that's awesome. That's just awesome. The old stuff is always better. I'm telling you. You got to read this old stuff. It's so good. All right, so let's take a look at the baptism of Jesus, all right? It's recorded in Matthew's gospel. It's recorded in Mark's gospel. It's recorded in Luke's gospel. It's not specifically uh, recorded in John's, though there are paragraphs in John's gospel where Jesus is talking about baptism, and he's talking with John the Baptist. We're going to take Luke as our primary text today, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 3, just two verses, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And um, it's on page 717, if you're in this Bible, way down in the very bottom of the column in page, on page 717. This is what Luke writes. I'll read it twice because it's short. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. One more time. Listen to this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. I don't really know what well pleased means, so I spent some time with that. It's this word eudokeo, which is the combination of two Greek words, and this is awesome. You know what they are? Think and good. Think and good. In other words, with you I am well pleased. When I think of you, I think good things. That's what he says to his son. When I think of you, man, because don't you wonder sometimes what God thinks about you? When I think of you, I think good things is what he says. All right, I want to ask two questions this morning, one about Jesus and one about us. So that'll be our outline. Let's do this. Here's the question about Jesus. Why is Jesus baptized? Why is Jesus baptized? Anybody here been baptized? Anybody want to raise your hand and admit you've been baptized? This is dangerous in some cultures. Good. Why were you baptized? Majority of you have been baptized. Tell me why you were baptized. Somebody. To confess, to confess your faith in Christ. That's a great reason. Somebody else? Why were you baptized? To start over. To start over. Good. I might come back to that. Good, Dad. Thanks. Why were you baptized? To obey Jesus. Jesus commands us as his followers to be baptized, right? It's an act of obedience. Uriah. Okay, good. She said to have a ceremony or a representation of her relationship with Jesus, right? A public proclamation kind of piece of it. Katrina? 
to be washed clean. Good. Okay, so let's stick with that. A couple more. Yeah? Right, a public statement say, this is the last little gentleman I baptized, Matthias. Why were you baptized? To get closer to God. Good. Okay, so all great answers. What my dad mentioned, what Katrina mentioned, is this idea of having a fresh start, right? Being washed clean, which is essentially what they're saying is, from what are they being washed clean? From what do they need a fresh start? From the sin of their life, right? From the sin of our life. It's not just these two people. It's all of us, right? So if that's true, then why is Jesus... Why is Jesus baptized, right? Because uh, the scripture seems to say, or it doesn't seem to say, it's very clear in saying that Jesus is not, he doesn't sin. He hasn't sinned. Even John the Baptist stumbles at this point, guys. In Matthew's account of this story, John tries to deter Jesus when Jesus comes to him and says, no, whoa, hold on. I should be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? John has a similar hang-up as I'm having right now. Why is Jesus baptized? The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Jesus can empathize with all of us because he's been tempted in all ways as we are. And yet, the writer of Hebrews says, is without sin. Which is to say that to struggle is to be human. To suffer is to be human. To Um, Be tempted to sin is to be human. However, to sin is not to be human. In other words, you don't need to sin in order to be a human. You need to be tempted, but to actually step over that line and to sin is to pervert your true humanity, right? It's to rebel against your true humanity. So there's a mystery here. I'm still not totally sure why Jesus needs to be baptized, but Luke gives us a clue in his first sentence how does that start? The first sentence Luke, in Luke's account. When all the people were being baptized. Isn't that interesting? I had never noticed that before this last week. Jesus was baptized too. The simple answer, friends, it's a mystery and it's, and it's complicated and deep. But the simple, if I could simplify an answer to the question, why was Jesus baptized? I think it would be this. Jesus is God fully entering into the human condition. That's why he's baptized, because he's God fully entering into the human condition. All the people are being baptized, so Jesus is going to be baptized too. He's going to fully enter into what life is like as a human being, because he's fully human. It's not that sort of stereotypical teenager, everybody else was doing it, so Jesus felt pressure to do it. That's not at all what's going on there. It's that everybody else actually needed to be rescued. And so Jesus is going to engage himself with the real-life situation of rescuing, but he's not going to do it from the safety of the edge of the pool. He's going to dive right in. He's going to get involved, right? He's going to get messy in in the mix of the whole thing. And he's going to do the rescuing from within our condition of brokenness, right? He's going to assume all of that. All that is truly human, Jesus assumes. Jesus takes on. Tempted in all ways as we are. So John the Baptist is like, you don't need to be baptized because John the Baptist is thinking you haven't sinned, okay? Because he's thinking about the immediate. Jesus insists on something else because Jesus is thinking about the bigger picture. Jesus is going to show the world what it means to be a son of God, how to be a human, how to be in relationship with God as creator, how to live life as we were designed to live. Jesus is going to show the world that. Or said another way, this would be good maybe to write down. 
Jesus is baptized because God is opening the way for all humanity to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. I'll say that again. God is opening a way for all humanity to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. So the epiphany is this. Jesus is the Son of God who becomes one of us so that we can become sons and daughters of God. That's the epiphany. Okay? Jesus is God, become one of us, so that we can become uh, sons and daughters of God. I've called this series of teachings that we'll do over the next few weeks Roots and Revelation because what I'm really trying to get at is how our knowing Jesus better helps us know ourselves better. Our knowing who Jesus is helps us understand what Jesus does. Knowing who Jesus is helps us understand what uh, his teachings, how to interpret his teachings. And I want to be careful to say this, that knowing Jesus is in and of itself a totally worthwhile pursuit. Whether it helps you or not, knowing Jesus should be pursued. It just so happens, however, that knowing Jesus has this beautiful byproduct of helping us know ourselves better. The better I know Jesus, the better I understand myself as well. Because his story reveals something core about our stories. Um, He demonstrates true humanity, in other words. He shows us how to live a full life. And specifically, he shows us what it means to be a child of God. He shows us what it means to be a child of God. Which is one of those really frequently stated phrases that I'm not really sure we understand very well. Because it assumes this metaphor that we're all living in to some degree, family, that's all broken to some degree, right? And so it's, sometimes it's difficult for us to take this beautiful image of child of God and really know what that means uh, to, to, to us on a practical level. So we ask the question, why was Jesus baptized? Now That's a question about Jesus. Now let's ask a question about, about us. Um, The question about us is, so if the epiphany is the Son of God becomes one of us so that we can become sons and daughters of God, what does that mean for us? And I mean specifically, okay? What are the ramifications of this on a practical level? In other words, I want to press more deeply into this practical side of this common idea of being a son or a daughter or a child of God. Uh, And I want to suggest that at the core, we're talking about three things, and all three things are revealed in the baptism of Jesus. We can see the whole thing. That's why we just meditate on the story of the baptism of Jesus. Some beautiful truth about ourselves comes out, right? First, in his baptism, Jesus is showing that we are all rescued. Okay, we're rescued. Uh, John understands this, John the Baptist. He understands this. That's why he says to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. Not the other way around. Jesus, of course, insists on it, but, but John understands that something inherent in baptism is the recognition of the person being baptized that they're in need. They need something. Specifically, they need the rescue that God uh, provides, that God makes available, right? And the one who is doing the baptizing is in that moment representing God, 
Who is the one who does the saving or the rescuing? Okay, so have you ever thought about the fact that um, you didn't baptize yourself? I mean, that would just totally mess up the symbolism of the whole thing. It would communicate a completely different message. And yet we live as though we've baptized ourselves, right? right? We live as though it's our own merit, our own worth. You know, I was doing pretty good. I got a pretty good background, whatever, my education, my accomplishments. You didn't baptize yourself. Somebody baptized you. Why? Because you need to be rescued by somebody else. It's just basic in understanding what it means to be a child of God is you need to be, you need to be rescued. Uh, the word that we use um, in some traditions, you need to be saved. Thanks. So one, the person being baptized is the one admitting, I, I need to be clean. And I can clean my shoulders and my armpits and my belly button, but I can't clean the part of me that's really the problem. I need somebody else to affect that part of me, right? And the other person, the one doing the baptizing, is basically taking the responsibility. And for all of us, it's been symbolic. If, I, if I've baptized you, I am symbolically taking the responsibility of God. And I'm saying, God is saying, I, I can do that. I can clean that part of you that you can't clean on your own because that's what I do. I'm, I'm the rescuer. And when we baptize, uh, in, there's all different ways to baptize, and it's not, the way you do it isn't important, but when we do baptize through immersion, the symbolism is especially graphic, is it not? Somebody walks into water, and somebody else dunks them underwater, and the person being baptized allows that to happen. When does that ever happen? When you're in a pool and somebody's trying to dunk you, you try to resist that, because you don't, but in baptism, there's a recognition of need, and it goes so far graphically as to be like giving permission, resting in somebody else's arms, and allowing them to submerge you underwater. But then, because the one doing the baptizing is the rescuer, that person raises them back up out of the water, right? Rescues them. This is a picture of Josh and I baptizing his second son, Jonah. And I love this picture. Because this is a picture of birth and it's a picture of new birth. Does that not look like a baby that's just been born? That's what, right? It's this beautiful picture. It's so appropriately uh, um, similar, is it not? So here's Jonah recognizing I need to be rescued at whatever level you do when you're 10 or however he old, what old he was a couple years ago in that picture. Was he 10? A little younger than that. Yeah, eight. So he recognizes I need to be rescued. Uh, Josh as his father, I as his pastor, have the blessing of being the ones representing God, accepting his admission of need, and then dunking him underwater, and then pulling him back out, and, and raising him uh, to, to new life again. My, uh, you know, my, I, yesterday, just yesterday, I had the privilege of praying with somebody um, who is just in their last hours. And um, my prayer for them was that they would recognize their need, was that they would humble their heart, so that they would um, admit that they need to be rescued, right? In other words, that they would not take this false view of themselves as someone who would, can baptize themselves, to use our analogy, not to, not to take a view that says, I can do it myself right up to the end, I'm going to do it my way, but to, to, uh, my, my prayer was for humility and recognition of need, right? Admitting, I, I need a rescuer here, right? This is not me. This is me calling out to someone else. Um, 
So the first thing that Jesus' baptism says to me is, you need to be rescued. And uh, as a son or a daughter of God, um, we are invited to embrace that core um, characteristic. We are rescued ones. What does it mean to be, I'm a son of God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, fundamentally, it means you're rescued. Okay, you've been rescued by someone else. Second, in his baptism, and this is shown in baptism, right? We're taking these three ideas from the baptism of Christ. Secondly, in his baptism, Jesus is showing us that we were created to be filled with the Spirit of God. We were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the earliest writings on Christian baptism, there are all kinds of parallels that are drawn between Noah, woo, way back, Genesis 6, the epic flood, right? Noah and the ark and humanity being rescued through the flood waters. Parallels between that and Christian baptism, where the person is rescued through the waters of baptism, right? So there's all this sort of uh, analogies and parallels drawn between the two. And the fact that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form, we think a dove came down and landed on Jesus. It, it wasn't a dove. It was the Holy Spirit in physical form. It looked like a dove. And the fact that they sort of choose dove is not random. The fact that it, it looks like a dove is not a random detail because this is also harkens back to the Noah story where he sends out a dove and the dove comes back with an olive branch as a symbol of peace, as a symbol of fulfillment, as a symbol of it's going to be okay now. We're, we're, we're in the process, uh, process of restoring all things now. And so the fact that Jesus is filled with the Spirit is a big deal. Practically, what does that mean? It means peace. The source of your peace as a child of God is the Spirit of God. You don't have to create some sort of self-help um, strategy to arrive at some sort of inner sense of peace. I'm a child of God. I don't feel very peaceful. Makes sense because you can't get that except from somebody else. The, the church has taught, scripture is clear on this, that our source of peace is not from ourselves. It's from God. And later we will learn in scripture that our source of power is not even from ourselves. It also is from the Holy Spirit of God, right? So, um, the dove is a symbol of shalom and peace and restoration, and the child of God is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is our peace. In baptism, Jesus is showing us that children of God are rescued. Children of God are filled with the Spirit of God. This is a qualitative difference between a child of God and someone who is not a child of God. The child of God has the Spirit, the presence it's a little bit difficult, a little bit mysterious, right? I can't really point at a spirit. I can point at fruit of spirit, like right? the consequences, the result of spirit. But the child of God is inhabited by, has invited in the spirit of God. And then finally, the baptism of Jesus shows us that a child of God is adopted as a son or a daughter. Is adopted as a son or a daughter. And what a blessing to be in a community where we have all kinds of examples being lived out right in front of us every few months of these beautiful children being adopted into families among us. Because this is the model um, of our becoming a part of the family of God. We were not born into this we were adopted into this. We were welcomed in uh, through adoption. This is, what is, uh, this is what is being communicated. This is what the voice of heaven communicates to Jesus. Okay? I'll just reiterate it. You are my son, is what he says. I love you. 
I'm well pleased with you. I think good thoughts about you. When I think of you, I think good thoughts. And I just think this could be so helpful for us, friends. In this statement of God to, of the Father to the Son, write this down. I don't think this is in your notes. I hear clarity of identity here, crystal clear. You're my son. Clarity of identity. I see expression of affection. I love you. Period. I love you. And I see the assurance of acceptance. I think good things about you. Okay? I think good things about you. I'm well pleased with you. Jesus' baptism is the epiphany. It reveals his true identity. And what should blow your mind this morning is that Jesus' baptism also reveals your true identity as a child of God. That's why this matters. Right? At least that's why it matters personally. It matters inherently because it's about Christ. And it matters maybe practically and personally because it also happens to be about us. This is, friends, this is who you were made to be. You were made to be a child of God. And so I just want to, uh, thanks, Daryl, for being up here. I just want to pray, take a little bit longer than typical to pray here at the end of this teaching. And I want to invite you to, um, you know, to take a posture of prayer, to close your eyes if you like, to stand if you like, to go in the back corner, to come to the altar, to rest, and, and just begin the year opening your heart up uh, to these simple truths. And I'll just kind of guide us through it. The message this morning is you're a child of God. And maybe, maybe you say, yes, that's, that's right. I am a child of God. I have embraced that. I have accepted that. But I am still struggling. And I want to say, of, co- of course you are. Of course you're still struggling because you've sinned. And others have sinned against you. And I've sinned. And, and you're not just going to get over this. You need to be rescued from it. So may you embrace that, your need to be rescued, and just be okay with that. Once and for all, maybe, long time ago, initially, but ongoing, I still need to be rescued. Right? And secondly, maybe you're like, you know, I am a child of God. I believe I'm a child of God, but I am so full of worry today. I am so full of fear Friends, we actually need the peace from God, right? We actually need it. We need the Spirit of Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us up. This is not some optional, available component for charismatic Christians or something. This is for us, all of us. To be a son or a daughter of God is to be filled with the spirit of God, the breath of God, the energy of God. You you were created and I was created to be fueled by God's spirit. So the invitation is to embrace that again today. Some of you are so capable it's intimidating, but it could also be a challenge for you personally because you rely on yourself so well and so often. 
And then finally, maybe you're like, I'm a child of God, but I, I feel like I fail all the time. I've fallen so many times. I doubt my worth. I doubt my worth in God's eyes. My, my hope and prayer for you this week has been and continues to be that you will rest in the truth that God speaks over you as his child. This is, this is what Jesus has been, this is why he's baptized, to show us that this is true for him and it's extended to all through him. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I think good things about you. I just invite you to rest in those truths today. And maybe, maybe you're like, I've never necessarily taken the life or the teachings of Jesus as having anything to do with my life. I'm not, I don't self-identify as a child of God. That's, I'm so, that's okay, but I, I, just, I invite you to consider that this is what you were created for. And you're welcome The love of God extends to you. And so, Lord, may we each be given the grace we need to receive the love that you offer to us. May we know who we are and may we live out of this true identity. May there be greater freedom, greater peace, greater assurance, greater fortitude against our failures. Thank you, Christ, for showing us what it means to be in relationship with God the Father. And uh, Despite our challenges with our own situations, may the fact that we are children of God be whole and rich and full of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.